people are basically vehicles to just create money which must create more money to keep the whole thing from falling apart which is what's happening Welcome to the Jersey Arts podcast. I'm Susan Wollner. Today, the Grammy award-winning drummer, band leader, and composer Terry Lynn Carrington is here to talk about Money Jungle Provocative in Blue. It's her reimagining and tribute to the legendary Duke Ellington album Money Jungle. Terry Lynn performs her take on Money Jungle this coming Sunday, November 11th at NJ Pack's TD James Moody Jazz Festival as part of a program called Jazz Vinyl Revisited. Hello, Terry. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Your album, Money Jungle Provocative and Blue, won you the second of your three Grammys. It was also the first Grammy for Best Jazz Instrumental Album to be won by a woman, so congratulations on that. Thank you. What was it about the original Money Jungle that fascinated you or that drew you to it and made you want to make your own interpretation of it? You know, people ask me that all the time, and I don't have a really good answer for that. Um, There's something mystical about the record to me. I actually found it in a used record bin in Los Angeles, and realized it was a record that my dad had in his collection that I just had never listened to. And I put it on in the car. I think I bought it for like $2 or something. And I put it on in the car, and it was just a spirit about it that uh, you know jumped at me. And I, after a couple of years, I think I just played Money Jungle, the cover song, uh, a couple of times live. And so then I just got the idea, and I didn't realize at the time that it was the, I believe, 60th anniversary of of the record, uh, when almost like to the month wow. when we recorded and put it out. So it was a lot of uh, synergy surrounding that project. Duke Ellington, you know, he was playing in a trio with Charles Mingus and Max Roach. I mean, an amazing, amazing grouping of people. And people say that he might have been like pushed a little bit out of his own comfort zone because of these like young, young guys he was playing with at the time. Do you feel that on the album? Well, um, he wrote the music, so I'm not sure uh, if he was pushed out of his comfort zone. I think he prepared uh, for those musicians, and he prepared to do something different than what he had done. But a lot of it was uh, blues-based, and everybody put their spin on it, so to say. Uh, I do feel like he got out of the way and let especially Charles Mingus uh, shine on that record, as well as Max. But um, I think, you know, he didn't try to, to do more or be more than he was. But that's part of his genius, you know, writing for the people that he's playing with and knowing how to get the most out of a situation and out of musicians. On your album, you're joined by Christian McBride on bass. And of course, Christian is the artistic director of the Moody Jazz Festival as well. Who's playing with you on this time around when you do it live? Well, um, Antonio Hart is joining us. He's a uh, alto player and soprano, uh, playing alto and soprano. And he's on my recording. I have two songs that have horns on the recording. Like I think I have three horns: trombone, alto, uh, flute. 
and the, I also added percussion and some vocal work. So I tried to keep it trio-based, but I added these other elements, and I also knew that when I toured, I would want to possibly tour with more than a trio. Um, and uh, as you said, it's Gerald Clayton on piano and Christian McBride on bass on the recording. But um, I have various people that do it live. This time in New Jersey, it will be Jared Henderson on bass and Santiago Bosch on piano, as well as Antonio Hart on saxophone. There is no profit under the current paradigm uh, in saving lives, putting balance on this planet, having justice uh, and peace or anything else. You have to create problems to create profit. I really responded to the spoken word element. You include phrases relating to money, you know, from, from different different people, Martin Luther King, there's, I think I heard Hillary Clinton, and Obama, and other people. Is this something that you are able to include when playing live? Uh, you know, I, I used to, when the record first came out, I did used to um, put some of that audio and I would have, you know, my computer connected and just play things. Uh, and then I moved away from that and just started playing the music, mm -hmm. you know, without worrying about all those extra elements. It's two different things, I think. You know, when you make a recording, you're, I don't know, making a different kind of piece of uh, art in a sense that will last forever. And live performance is a, normally an interpretation of that. Did you ever meet any of the original Money Jungle musicians, the ones who played with, with Duke Ellington? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Max Roach was somebody... Uh, that was a big supporter of mine and uh, somebody that I had a bit of a relationship with. I even had visited him and stayed at his house once. But he would come through Boston and invite me to play with his band. And that was a big thrill for me. And then I think when I was around 18 is when I went and visited, visited with him wow. in New York. Wow, that is yeah. that is cool. He actually um, wanted to produce a record uh, for me with Blue Note when I was about 17. It didn't work out, but the fact that he wanted to do that really meant a lot to me. Definitely. I met Duke Ellington once, like when I was a kid, but it was just, you know, I went to a show and just, uh, you know, I, had, I forget if it was my father or an aunt of mine. You know, took me to his show and, you know, just said, we said hello afterwards, but it wasn't like any real exchange. But you were able to, like, say that you met the, the master, which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. It's like a link with yeah. the past, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, and, you know, I feel connected also to him because of uh, Clark Terry, who played for quite a while with Duke Ellington and. He also played with Count Basie's. I think he's one of the few people that played with both of those orchestras. But my first gigs were with um, Clark Terry. So he would talk to me about Duke Ellington, and so I feel the connection through Clark. Is Clark Terry is also a guest on my recording, and that was his last recording. And I thought it was so important to have that original, that link with an original uh, well, at first, he wasn't on that record, but somebody that played and recorded with Duke Ellington. When I went to record Clark, he was already, you know, very sick, and 
I thought he would play a little trumpet, and he played a few notes, but I could see, you know, he wasn't really up to playing the trumpet, and he said, can I scat or, you know, sing? And uh, he does something called mumbles, which he was very famous for. So he did that, and at the very end, and he was laying kind of like in a hospital bed. Uh, we were at his house, but he was, uh, you know, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't walk anymore. He had had an amputation. But anyway, he says, hey, Duke, and then he starts scatting again. So it was pretty eerie. At what point did you know that you wanted to do more than be a a drummer in a group i mean to 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 be a an accomplished musician is a is a you know is a wonderful thing and you were playing with really good people but at some point you decided you wanted to take more control i, I think i think drummers are kind of natural producers in a sense uh, as far as developing the music and we're always suggesting things, you know, suggesting what should happen in the music, and we control the dynamic of a band. In essence, you know, we play softer, we play louder, uh, we kind of push the energy of a band or slow it down, you know, so many things that drummers contribute uh, to a musical situation, you know, live and in the studio. So I, I feel like I was always the one in the studio giving advice or suggestions and uh, realized that I really loved doing that. So I started producing and songwriting and uh, music directing and just doing things that are more more about the final product and what you have to do to get from the point where you have an idea to you know, an actual final product. You've done um, some remarkable projects. I mean, the Mosaic Project, and then you had a follow-up to that called Mosaic, the Mosaic Project Love and Soul, where you were working with um, incredible female vocalists and instrumentalists. What is what is on your horizon now? Do you have another another project that you're working on now? Yes, I have a new project that's, I would say, maybe 60% done. It's called Social Science, and it's dealing with all social and political themes. Uh, with Aaron Parks and Matt Stevens, they're the core musicians. We've written the material together. And I'm also um, the artistic director and founder of the Berkeley Institute of Jazz and Gender Justice, and that just launched recently. And that's you know taking up a lot of energy and time trying to get a program off the ground. So, so what do you do in a program about jazz and gender justice? Well, we're basically uh, trying to do corrective work and uh, trying to shed some light on a lot of the issues with gender. Uh, equity or gender inequity in, uh, well, it's in the society and in the world, but we're looking at it through the lens of jazz. 
and uh, just as a woman playing this music, which is very much a you know, male-dominated field, uh, I just really feel like I needed to do something to try to help other young women that want to play it that may get discouraged because they don't see enough people like them playing it. Uh, and it just becomes not fun uh, sometimes when you're you know, not encouraged to do something or you're navigating through a biased system. You know, sometimes you know, it just takes a toll and people quit. Hmm. So um, I've seen it and it bothers me. So I really wanted to uh, do something you know, from what I can do. I guess it's kind of my life's work at this point. Because I've you know I've had a great career and of course I'll keep keep working uh, you know cre- keep creating but uh, I don't feel right doing that without giving back as well so that's what I'm doing. Wow, Terry Lynn Carrington, thank you so much for joining me today. It sounds like a, a great project. The time is right for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Terry Lynn Carrington and her band will play Money Jungle, Provocative in Blue as part of the T.D. James Moody Festival on November 11th. Look for it on the program under Jazz Vinyl Revisited. For more about the festival, visit njpack.org. Terry Lynn's own website is terrylynncarrington.com. I'm Susan Wollner for the Jersey Arts Podcast. Thanks for listening. Dogs, children smothering in an airtight cage of poverty. The panic we face in these early years of the 21st century is how to grow our economies and ensure shared prosperity. I still spend about an hour a day trying to study this economy. And I'm not running for anything and I don't have a political agenda. I just, I tried to figure out what's The amount of deprivation in our world still remains unacceptable. Half of our fellow human beings live on less than $2 a day. That's simply not acceptable in a civilized world. And we address the irresponsibility and recklessness that got us into this mess in the first place. The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible by the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, supporting excellence and engagement in the arts since 1966.